0: Welcome back, Warriors. Tancei, Sego, Ani Buju, Kwe Nindeluisi, Pam and I am the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, laws, and practices. But it's also about asserting, living, and defending our individual and collective sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And today I am so pumped for all of you to hear from native warrior Leonard Monkman. Leonard is the co-founder of Red Rising Magazine, one of my favorites. And I had the good fortune to have contributed an article once. And he's also been the associate producer with CBC Indigenous for more than three net. Na- For more than three years now. But he is so much more than all of this, which is why I invited him to my show. I have admired his work for a really long time, especially his activism and the way he ensures that urban indigenous people stay connected and they're not excluded from everything that we're doing. Welcome to the show, Leonard.
1: Thank you for having me. That's uh, quite the intro. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well I am a big fan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you.
0: And uh, and thank you for making time. I know you know you work hard, you're all over the place, you have your own family uh, and community commitment so I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to join me here and I'm wondering if you would like to introduce yourself and where you're from in the way that you like to.
1: Anin Leonard Monkman, bing Uh My name is Leonard Monkman, and I am from uh, Lake Manitoba First Nation, but uh, born and raised in Winnipeg, and spent a lot of uh, my formative years in, in the north end. So that's uh, that's the background of where I come from.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, Winnipeg is where it's at. There are so many native people living off reserve in the hub of Winnipeg. I mean, you literally can't go anywhere in Winnipeg without seeing one of our brothers and sisters.
1: That's uh, honestly, that's like one of my favorite things about this city. And uh, we just finished having a conversation with my kids about it really recently, uh, about how they're used to seeing this, but outside of Winnipeg, it's not like that in other cities. And so, just having brown people everywhere. It's a, uh, it's a blessing.
0: It—it it, it is a blessing. And it's, it's something that struck me because when I came from the Maritimes, it's definitely not that way. And then when I moved to Toronto, it's, you know so not that way at all so actually when i started traveling and going to winnipeg and saskatchewan um saskatoon and regina and it's like oh yes finally i see my people all around me like literally everywhere it was a very comforting feeling
1: yeah it's, it's 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 one of the best feelings actually i i grew up in uh <clears throat> so i grew up in winnipeg's north end and what i was telling so i was talking to somebody recently and i told them that i, I went to uh uh an all-indigenous high school. Well, it wasn't all indigenous, but it was primarily an indigenous high school, uh, children of the earth. And so in a sense, like Winnipeg is a segregated city, but also at the same time, like there is so many benefits to my own education uh, from going to a high school like that, where I'm not trying to fit in or anything like that. It's like, here's my people, I'm with them every day. I'm learning from them every day, outside of school. We're only surrounded by indigenous folks. And so when you're living that way, but you're doing it in a sense, uh, I mean, like we lived in poverty, but also at the same time, like you get a sense of pride that comes with, uh, you know, being, being that, that close to your people, but also being educated by your own people all the time.
0: Well, yeah. And the amazing thing about Winnipeg in comparison to other cities is, you know, there's this big divide sometimes between, you know, our brothers and sisters that live on reserve and they go to school on reserve and they're, you know, in that same context and they're surrounded by all their family and cousins and friends and all that. But then if they have to come to the city, then, you know, they're kind of alone and in isolation and they don't see anybody else there. Whereas Winnipeg, you know, even if you're coming into Winnipeg from, you know, another community, you're still going to be surrounded by all your brothers and sisters. And that's something that, you know, so many other cities in this country just don't have.
1: Mm-hmm. I think uh, one of uh, like I, I talk to a lot of people from across the country and I feel like I'm one of the the biggest Winnipeg boosters like yeah. uh there's there's so many there's so many different things that are happening here within the indigenous community and a lot of it is community and is community related, um, and I and I started getting involved in the community about five years ago. Uh, I don't really know too too much of the people. Like I, I was following a lot of people, but I didn't really know everybody. And one of my favorite things about this city is that you know there it's it's definitely a hub for. Artists, it's a hub for activism, it's a hub for uh, thinkers, politics, uh, whatever, music, sports, whatever it is that you're interested in. uh, There's definitely a group and a smaller sub community of people that are out there doing uh, all of these different things. But it's also uh, telling people, like, you know, we can't just focus on all of the good stuff because it's definitely a tough, tough place to live. Uh, as an Indigenous person, if you're living in poverty, um, and that's that's the reality of living in this city, uh, in the neighborhood that I live in, um, you know, I've I've done all right for myself in the past five years, and and it, and it hasn't always been that way, but you get uh, reminded of of the 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 history uh, that our people have been through when you step outside of the door. And so there's this, uh, you know, because there's so many different people uh, and because of the way that capitalism works, not all of us are, uh, are able to, you know, live comfortably on our own territory.
0: Well, and so let's let's talk about some of that, because, you know, um, when I first met you, it was because you were just involved in so much. You know community activism and community groups and it just seemed like you were in a constant state of outreach and can you tell us a little bit about some of your community-based work or volunteerism I I hate calling it volunteerism but it's it's what we do when we give our time to people
1: Mm -hmm. I don't see I don't know if I, I don't know if I really consider myself an activist I guess other people sort of see see it that way um, for me, I was I, so I wasn't actually involved in Idle No More. I was on uh, idle. I, I was on house arrest when Idle No More was happening, and uh, I have I have uh, charges from back then from uh, selling drugs, um, and I put that out there in the open uh, before I started getting involved in uh, any sort of activism or community work. And so for me, um, you know, I've always. I've always sort of watched the news. I've always sort of uh, paid attention to the politics. I've always sort of looked at things critically. Um, and then in two thousand and fifteen, it was sort of like, okay, well, um, I' well, a lot of it started off with the book, Indians Where I Read. And within that book, there's 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 a piece in there that that talks about what can be done about the Aboriginal street about Aboriginal street gangs. And it says that you need people that have lived through these experiences uh, to to reshape their communities and reclaim their communities and their identities and their culture and stuff like that. And so I sort of use that as my own call to action to say, okay, well, I've really lived through all of these different things that you know everything that the north end t- that everything that the North End has to offer, my family has been through it. My brothers and sisters have been through it. I've been through it, and this is literally all that we know. And so when 2015 hit, it was sort of like, okay, well, I need to give back to my community based on some of the shit that we put our community through. And mm-hmm. so, you know, for, for me, it's sort of um, a bit of a guilty conscience, but it was also like, here's all sorts of ideas that we could use to try to make our community a better place. And so, being inspired and 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 seeing people like Michael Champagne with AYO, uh, seeing the Bear Clan pop up at that time, uh, Bernadette Smith had Drag the Red going. Um, you know, Althea Gibbosh got Bannock. There's so many different things. You know, got Bannock feeding people uh, on the street that are homeless. And so, there's all of these different um, gaps that exist for our people in terms of services. And for me, it's always sort of been like, you know, what what can we sort of do to maybe get youth involved? And mm-hmm. so over the years, um, we've started, we've given away basketballs to kids in the inner city. I've always played basketball. Um, we've hosted a lot of uh, anti-racism events where we're, we're not... Going out there and protesting or anything like that. But what we're doing is bringing people to the table and just saying, let's have, let's break bread together. Let's, uh, let's have conversations about your culture and we'll show you our culture. And I think that, you know, over the past five years, like I feel like the indigenous community as a whole, uh, like, like I said before, like there's so much strength and character that, that indigenous peoples in the city have. Is that we've been able to uh, establish relationships with non-indigenous folks in a way that is—I uh, would like to believe that it's a meaningful way. I would like to believe that there are a lot of uh, non-indigenous people that are comfortable with, uh, you know, being led by indigenous people um, in terms of the activism and the creativeness that's coming out of this city, like. I don't I don't see I don't I don't think that there is anything else out there that's happening like it in Canada. I I think that Mm -hmm. uh, Winnipeg is a a very very special place in terms of uh, what this relationship in this country could potentially look like in 50 years from now.
0: Well, and so, you know, everything that you're talking about, you know, and the way in which you have been involved in different ways in different times, you know, I, I know people kind of you know, sometimes they put people into categories like, you know, here's the academic or here's the activist or here's the volunteer or whatever. But, you know, we can be activists in just how we conduct ourselves. So in, mm-hmm. you know, just the fact that, you know, when I asked you to talk about your community based work, the first thing you did was actually name some really kick-ass Winnipeg native people who are doing great work helping our people and you know that in and of itself the more we lift up and promote and empower all of our brothers and sisters doing really good work that in and of itself is a form of activism at least to my mind
1: Mm -hmm. there's like like there's so many brilliant brilliant people out there and 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 one of the biggest benefits of my job is getting to talk to uh, incredibly brilliant and inspiring indigenous people from across the country, really, but also, you know, going out to events all over the community, getting uh, getting the opportunity to have these conversations and then also engaging on social media with with these Mm -hmm. folks like every day, like you get to see there's so much more that we have to offer than just what our titles are, right? And so mm-hmm. me, Leonard Monkman, the journalist, like there's much more that I bring to the table than just mm-hmm. being a journalist, and there's much more that I bring to the table than just being uh, a community organizer, right? Like, And so that's yeah. the, 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 what I don't want to do is end up putting myself into a bubble where it's like, okay, well, this is the only thing that we are because we're, there's much more to who we are than what we do for work. And, you know, what I always sort of thought about, you know, as I was getting into the community is where do I see myself and where am I going to be able to create an impact so that, you know, the next generation, where do they see themselves? And, you know, even over the past year or so, like watching my kids grow uh, and watching them go to things and then watching other kids and watching the people that I know their kids go into to you know becoming of age and for me that's probably the most inspiring part is seeing kids that you know have been going to these protests they've been uh, hearing these kitchen table conversations with uh, me and my friends and you know they they they're going into high school and they'll they will be going into post secondary with a much more uh, well-rounded critical analysis of the history of this country um, as compared to me going to university and, and having my, my mind opened up by you know, the, the real truth of what has happened in this country
0: hmm. Well, exactly. And that's what we want for our kids, you know, so that their their experience is already 10 steps ahead of where we were when we went through, for example. And, you know, you'd like to think that their kids are just going to be ready to just hit the ground running because they will have had the benefit of what your kids had and so on and so forth. But I want to talk to a little bit about um your role in the media you know not just social media but your role in mainstream media you know journalism I mean how did you get into the media what like what was your path
1: uh so it's kind of funny because like for me personally I've always watched the news I've always watched news I used to watch Lloyd Robertson every single night when I was a kid I used to watch uh, the 6 o'clock news, I would watch the 11 o'clock news, I would wake up and I would read the newspapers, I would have the Winnipeg Sun. Uh, when it went digital, I was we- reading the Winnipeg Free Press every day. Um, and for me, it was sort of, uh, you know, seeing Rosanna Deerchild in specific, uh, uh, in particular, and then also my mom had a friend uh, by the name of Trevor Greise, who was a journalist back then when I was younger. And so, seeing their bylines when I was a kid, it was always like, okay, I want to sort of do that. And then when we went to Children of the Earth High School in grade twelve, uh, we were at a, like, when we were graduating, I said, okay, well, I either want to go into politics or I want to go into journalism. I ended up taking a whole bunch of uh, political science courses at the U of W, uh, University of Winnipeg, um, and then dropped out of school. Started selling dope, started getting involved in that, uh, went off the wrong path for about 10 years. Uh, I did flooring for about five years. Um, And then when we started Red Rising Magazine back in 2015, like I started blogging at the beginning of or in March of 2015 and just sort of really getting used to the idea of Okay, I want to be a better writer first and foremost, that's it. I'll get used to putting my blog out, I'll get used to uh, getting feedback from people online. Um, And then just really started to write like long-winded posts about this, 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 this and this. And basically giving my takes and to a point where um, we started Red Rising magazine and it was like, okay. we need something like this, like this magazine that that gives uh, people a perspective, an indigenous perspective outside of the mainstream media. And they, uh, I ended up writing uh, my first piece for the Winnipeg Free Press in August of 2015. Uh, it was called "An Optimistic Time for Indigenous Peoples," and I wrote that particular article based on all of the people that I was seeing everywhere because I was still very brand new in the community but I was also super super inspired by all of these people that I was seeing throughout the the city and throughout the community. Um, and then when we started Red Rising Magazine I ended up writing the the first article for the first issue And it was just about my brothers and how they've always been incarcerated since they were 12 years old and sort of connecting culture as a way of keeping Indigenous men out of the criminal justice system. Uh, And so CBC saw that and they wanted to republish that. And then they reached out to me again for another article a few months later. And I wrote that and they liked what I did with that. Uh, And they were calling me in for radio interviews all of the time. And then in December of 2015, they were like, do you want to come in for CBC? And uh, when I got there, uh, it was just a two-week contract. Um, and then I, I basically told myself, like, like so just a little FYI, um, when I was walking into the CBC, the very first day, I'd always dreamed of being a journalist and walking into that building and being like, holy Fuck! Like I can't, I can't, I can't believe that I'm in this place based on all of the different things that have happened in my life, um, and also based on you know like a criminal record, all of these different things. My work experience shows that I was flooring for all of all of these years, and there's like a huge, huge gap on my resume. Um, And there's nothing really that says, you know, you're a talented writer or you have a potential career in journalism. It was a two-week contract, see what you can do um, and then take it from there. And so right from the very beginning, right from that two-week contract, the thing that I'm telling myself as soon as I get there is if you have one message, what is it going to be? You know, if you have a chance to tell one story, what are you going to take with that story? And what, how are you going to use that platform? And so, during that first two-week stint, it was, uh, I remember we created a video which basically linked uh, the the child welfare system to the residential schools. And for me, you know, five years ago, I I was like, okay, you know, it was one of the first videos uh, that they did like that, where it was like a text over video at the CBC. um, And they liked what I did. And then they called me back in January and they were like, do you want a three-month contract? And so I was like, sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) And then once once they sort of, uh, um, they kept stringing me along like three-month, 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 three-month contract for a really long time. But I was in school when they first started and then like I had just gone back to school. So I don't have a a bachelor's degree and I don't have um, a journalism degree or anything like that. And once I had my foot in the door, I finished up that school year, but I was also like, okay, I got my foot in the door. I'm doing something that I always wanted to do. I actually love what I'm doing, and I'm just going to go full throttle and not not try to, like, finish my university degree. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was like, um, it's anxiety-inducing to try to get a, a full-time job permanent at the CBC. But it's also something where it's like, okay, when you get up and you, you get out of bed every day and you feel like you're doing something that you always wanted to do, it doesn't really feel like work, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and it feels like, okay, well, this sort of feels like what I was meant to do, right? Like, it feels like there's, there's it's funny because I wrote something on, on Twitter there recently where it was like, you know, I want to be one of the best Indigenous journalists in this country, I want to be that and I'm and I'm going to make it my goal until I am one of the best journalists in the room in every single room that I step in. And then the 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 downside of that is that after I write something like that it's like okay, maybe I'm not even as good or I'm not even as close <laughs> to anywhere of what I'm actually saying. I'm trying to manifest this dream, but mm-hmm. it's also me like You know, it's that imposter syndrome that I think that is relatable Mm -hmm. for a lot of people that have a dream, but they also uh, self-sabotage the way that they think. And so, you know, sometimes people struggle with their mental health. Sometimes I struggle with my mental health. And that's sort of something where, um, you know, the way that I think about things is that I need to be optimistic, but I also need to put my head down and do the work because, you know, those types of things don't just happen overnight. You know, that, that's the, the, the dream is to be one of the best, but I also need to get up and I need to put the work in every single day. And that's the part that, you know, I, I, sometimes uh, I feel like I document it on social media and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But behind the scenes, like there's a lot of work that goes into it. And, and that's the that's the part that people need to understand is you need to work on your craft all the time.
0: Well, and, and I think that's an important message because you hear lots of messages generally, you know, about, oh, have a dream and think positive and, you know, have uh, draw positivity to you and, you know, do vision boards and all these kinds of things about, you know, m- you know, making a plan and all that stuff for your dream. But then there's the work. There's actual steps you have to take towards actually making all of that happen. It doesn't just happen because it's a wish. And the fact that it takes a lot of hard work and it might not go as fast as you think. There might be lots of lumps and bumps. There might be difficulties. Life's going to intervene. And for the most part... People don't see that stuff that goes on behind the scenes when you're really struggling or you're having a lot of pressure or, you know, there's mistakes that are made and you have to learn from them. All people see is what's on the outside. And and I think it's important that message that you're bringing about all the work that goes along towards trying to make that dream a reality. And clearly, you've been working really hard. And I have to say, Leonard... You know, you know what social media is like. It's like a mixed bag of everything. <laughs> and there's there's yeah. people on there who are trolls, and then there's people on there who are, you know, doing a wide variety of things. But I've always yeah. I've always seen, especially in more recent years, like a, a sense of positivity from your social media and and even some of the tips that you've been leaving lately about uh, I don't I think it was on Facebook. I can't remember, but you had said something around along the lines of, Hey, people, don't try to call out someone or correct some unnamed person because it actually makes the people who are reading it feel like you're talking about them or makes them feel uncomfortable or, you know what I mean? Like you have these um, little messages or you are giving tips about, I think it was writing the other day, how to get your message across or something like that. And I find those actually very useful tips on social media, given what is out there.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's part of it is that it, it it's hard for me to to disagree with somebody, right? And and a, and a lot of these things are all inspired by the things that I'm consuming, right? Like I'm consuming lots of content. I'm reading lots of people's stuff, I'm reading lots of people's statuses and stuff like that. And for me, it's like, I I can't disagree with you because if I disagree with you, you might consider it lateral violence, right? And so if there's, if there's literal, if there's little pieces of tips for writers, because I know that there are a lot of aspiring writers out there that are watching, uh, the kind of stuff that I do. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, you know, here's some tips to become a better writer, right? Because I can't go out and share, or I can't share one-on-one individual stuff with people because there is just not enough time in the day, yeah. and I don't have enough energy, and sometimes it's just like, you know what, here's a tip that I think that would benefit, uh, maybe it benefits five people, mm-hmm. right, but but also too, like, um, you know, you talked about, like, not uh, sharing all of the ups and downs and the bumps and stuff like that. Everybody goes through bumps. Everybody goes through different shit in life. And for me, it's like, um, you know, if, if we can sort of make it a little bit easier on each other where, you mm-hmm. know, if, I, if I'm saying somebody pissed me off and then there's so many people that misinterpret that. And so whenever, me personally, whenever I'm having a shitty day, like I'll, I'll, I'll refrain from posting. I won't post as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, I, and I always think about what the intention of it, of it is going to be, right? Like most of the time... I like to joke around. I like to be myself. And for me, that's one of the most, um, if if I was to say, like, okay, I'm going to have a message to people, my message to any indigenous people or any indigenous youth that would be out there is that try to be yourself, continue Mm -hmm. to be yourself, right? Like, be yourself wherever you go. Um, I don't feel like I want to uh, not be myself in public, so that if you see me in Vancouver, or if you see me uh, at the CBC, or if you see me in the hood, like I'm still the same person everywhere that I go. And and I think that's an important part of it is that, you know, even sometimes my my humor is I- inappropriate, but that's part of what makes me laugh, right? That the yeah. things that I love on on Facebook, like I I love to laugh, I love to joke around, but I would encourage you know, whether you're indigenous or you're Muslim or you're whatever, bring yourself to to your workplace, bring yourself to school, right? And so how do I encourage, I would do, I would give the same message to my kids, is be yourself everywhere that you go.
0: Well, and that is a good message. And especially for people, um, younger people coming up who want Uh, a career in media in some form mainstream media you know they they're watching people like you and others you know Rosanna Deerchild and Connie Walker and there's like so many people doing such great work and really representing us in a good way and in an authentic way Um, not just a native face but doing the exact same thing you know that's been a problem for years and years but actually you know moving the marker and I think it's important that people see a wide variety of um everybody that's in the media and I'm and I'm wondering if you know you ever faced any barriers in your path because of of who you were as a native person like some people in professional context they find difficulty um Getting articling jobs after law school because you know, statistically speaking, native people weren't being hired as as much, you know, mm-hmm. ten, twenty, fifteen years ago, or the or the same thing in academia. You know, twenty years ago, is very hard for a native person to get an ac- academic job, and and I'm just wondering if if you've noticed any of those barriers in in the media.
1: Um, it's kind of, it, it's, it's, it's funny for me because like you would think that, okay, you're going to run into racist people or racist, whatever. And for me, I've been very lucky to be at a position where, uh, I, I, I work in a super supportive environment. Uh, CBC mm-hmm. Manitoba has been nothing great, but great for me. Um, and, but the, the, the reality of the situation is that the only people that I've come up with roadblocks against, I've been my own people, and so, really? <laughs> and that's a, that's like, um, and and that's like a gatekeeper, that's a gatekeeper oh, mentality, right? Okay. And, and so it's sort of like, um, but the only, and 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 another thing that I would add is that the only way that I would have gotten to this place that I'm at is with the help and mentorship of other indigenous journalists. Mm-hmm. Right, and and I've been super lucky to have people like Tim Fontaine men- mentored me in the first year and a half, uh, Jillian Taylor, Megan Fidler, um, all of these other. That's a another great thing about CBC Manitoba is we've always had about ten Indigenous journalists in the room since I've been there, and for the most part, has been pretty, pr- been pretty uh, you know supportive, and I, and and for me, that's exact same thing like what I'm trying to do. If there's people that are coming in here's how you write a headline, here's how you write your lead, here's uh, a pitch a story. If you're working in the radio department, here's the story that's going to work for the radio that you can pitch. And so it's just super small things, like if you need me for anything, call me. Uh, and then there's, you know, there, there, there is that support. And I, I do feel like regardless of whatever it is, like whatever field you're in, you should be trying to help out whoever it is mm-hmm. get into your field, right? And so there's so much, room and space for indigenous journalists Um, I don't know if I encourage people to go into journalism just with Mm -hmm. the amount of jobs that uh, are disappearing every year Mm -hmm. but I do think that like there's so much space for us to to be in all aspects of it, and it and it's great to see people like you know Megan Fiddler and Jillian Taylor. They've gone from being reporters into working behind the scenes now, and they're moving up. and And you know, talking to people like Mervyn Brass up north, who runs CBC North. Uh, we need people, and and as we have me and him had a crazy conversation. He's like, you guys need to start applying for all of these different positions. Start. P- applying for management positions and that's where the real change takes place. And so it's it's kind of funny because sometimes like we've got uh, uh, issues when when the community has issues with CBC, uh, we sort of take the heat for a lot of that but behind the scenes there are a lot of indigenous staff that are are, are making quiet internal changes. and so like I said again, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm super super blessed to be working at the CBC.
0: Well, and I think, you know, you're also in a really awesome and unique scenario being in Winnipeg, you know, with the high population of of Native people and the close relations. the, The thing I found, you know, not being from Winnipeg is that when you go there, people have like really close relationships. It really is like everybody is brothers and sisters and helping each other out. And I noticed when I started working more with First Nations in Manitoba, you know, I didn't even have to ask for help for anything people were literally offering hey do you want me to you know introduce you to people do you want me to help you with this presentation do you want me to facilitate some media i mean it's just the the people i find in winnipeg and manitoba have been so helpful because we're all at you know at different stages and anything that we produce and i mean you can probably testify to this like if i write an article or if I, if i produce something you know an opinion piece or anything like that for the media it's usually because you know, I've bounced ideas off of my colleagues. I mean, people like Negan Sinclair, for example. I mean, he's just doing amazing work at the Winnipeg Free yeah. D- Press. And, and he's the first person who will who will contact me and say, hey, that was an awesome article. And um, if you ever want to run things by me and vice versa, he'll be like, oh, i, I got to think of like a really good idea for this. And we bounce ideas back and forth. And that is so incredibly helpful because if you – if you're if you're not in that you know collective everybody helping everybody else out then it could end up being almost like academia and you're just by yourself you're in isolation and it's i find there's an incredible difference when you have a circle of people that are helping you
1: yeah i i feel like i have a circle but it's actually kind of small <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's 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 a little bit different right because like There are a lot of people on social media, but I I think outside of like, you know, going home and going to work, like Mm -hmm. I do for the most part like to keep to myself. And it was kind Mm -hmm. of funny there the other day because my uh, my daughter came to move in with me for this school year. And then I asked her the question there a little while ago. And she was like, Oh, I I asked her, I said, "Um, you know, now that you're living here, do you get to see how busy I am? And she says to me, Well, you're not really that busy. You're working like everybody else. <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, well, I somebody's got to keep me humble, I guess." So <laughs> No, no, no.
0: That's true. And that's I think the creator put family on this earth for the express purpose of keeping us humble. <laughs>
1: yeah. But it, I mean, that's that's like uh, that's just the, the the busyness of it. Like uh, I had to have that conversation with my, my with my son. Like you know, you know what time I get up. You know what time I get back from work. You know how long it takes for me to come back, do the dishes, cook, and by the time that's all done, like. There's literally only an hour or two left in the day. And so mm-hmm. it's like literally go, 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 right? And it's being a single dad. is like trying to balance out all of these different things uh, on top of the community stuff, on top of my act uh, personal activities.
0: Well, then that's a perfect intro to my next question because I, I mean, everybody that's come on this podcast is, you know, doing lots of work in lots of different areas. And with you, you've got, you know, your work, your single dad, you do all your community based work. How do you find balance? Like, how, how <laughs> are you? How are you? Okay
1: um i think that's that's a a hard question to answer right because i've been sober for almost four years it'll be four years in january and for me i think that one of the things that i I tried to replace a lot of the different things with was work and just going to go off on a little bit of a sidebar Mm -hmm. here is that For anyone that's getting sober, like, the the shitty part of that they don't talk about all that much is the emotional part of it, right? Like, dealing with your emotions and, and feeling the anger or whatever it is that you're feeling and having to face that sober, like, that's the shitty part of it. And so once you can sort of get through that, like, you know, trying to replace it with work, trying to replace it with being busy, trying to, you know, go, 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 and, and feeling like you need to go, go, go. Um, but for me, it's, uh, you know, I have do what I love to do. I, 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 I go and talk to students sometimes and I tell them, like, You know, if you're going to go and volunteer somewhere and you want something for your resume, you don't even think about it as your resume. You just go out and do stuff that you actually love to do. And so for me, you know, I love connecting with people. I love bringing people together. I love um, the events and stuff like that. And so, you know. Get up, go to work, uh, schedule a little bit of time off, schedule off time to do a podcast interview with Pam, uh, <laughs> make sure that I'm eating. Um, but for me, the, the biggest uh, form of being able to get away from everything has always been basketball. And so mm. even when I was a kid... Uh, basketball took me away from you know everything that was happening at home everything that was going on in my life and then when I started to try to change my life around you know when I was like 25 years old again uh, you know that was what helped me get away from everything right that was what helped me to get my life back on track and so now that uh, it's it's about to be winter time like I'm on two basketball teams this year and it's literally the only thing that completely takes me away mentally from everything that's going on in my life and so if it's that one um, exercise that I can do that just it just feels so good right like it's like the passion part of it and so all of these other different things like when you say I'm going to go out in public speaking do public speaking I I went out and volunteered and did that for a really long time and did it for free just because I wanted to get better at it right and so when you're volunteering doing things that you actually love to do you're Mm -hmm. Uh, building your own capacity and that's the same thing that we did with red rising like red rising was a passion project and we'll do all of that for free and we did that for free for forever um but but with within that same amount of time like We learn how to put together a magazine, we learn how to do editing, we learn how to do outreach, we learn how to do networking, we learn how to do marketing, we learn how to do promotion, Um, and we built contacts. So within that passion project we built our skills up to a point where we're we're employable enough to work at a place like CBC, Uh, we're employable enough to work at other media organizations, right? And so just turning different passion projects into something where, you know, I'm getting paid to do something that I love to do, because I volunteered doing what I love to do. And I would do it for free anyways. Right. And so it's sort of like that balance of finding stuff that you, you're actually interested in. If you're not interested in it, don't don't do it. Right. Like I tell artists, like if you're artist paint.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it sh- it shouldn't actually be work. It should just be what you love. And I know not everybody's in that space, uh, at at the time they want to be where they can do everything that they want to. But I think you're, you're raising a really good point about, you know, volunteerism, you know, as you're giving, you're getting, and you know, at the more you do it, the more you're actually building up your skills and your talents. And I mean, things I've never even thought about it that way. I've always just thought about, volunteerism or contributions as just you know you're my responsibility that's what I do and I do it because it's helpful and it's the right thing to do and culturally we're supposed to do these things and I've never ever thought about it the way you say it in that in that in the act of volunteering you're actually getting back so I think now as you were speaking wow, all those letters I wrote, all those <laughs> research reports I did, you know, like all those bylaws, all those resolutions, all like all those things I did for years and years and years for, you know, First Nations leaders or for First Nation organizations or, or individuals. I didn't even realize that at the time I was getting back because I was building up my skill in, you know, informal advocacy long before I was a lawyer. So that that's a really good point, And I think people should really focus on that. You actually do. You know, it's like a two way street.
1: Well, the thing for me is like, I, I do go out and talk to schools and stuff like that here and there. Um, but I tell them, like, I've been fired from almost every single job that I've ever had. And I'm 34 years old now. <laughs> and so uh, that's a that's a real part of the story, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. first person in my family to uh, finish high school, even though I'm short half credit, um, first person to go to university, first person to have, like, a full-time job, First, and, and all of these different things, like, I've learned along the way, right? And this is what I tell my kids, that you're not going to be able to make the same mistakes that I've made because I had to go out and learn all of these mistakes on my own. And so, you know, from... Going from being a, a high school student with tons of potential to going down the wrong path to getting hired, to getting fired, hired, fired, hired, fired, to working for uh, a flooring company for five years and busting my ass off and doing 12 hour days and, you know, really, really grinding with this idea that, okay, I'm going to bust my ass off doing floors and one of these days I'm going to be okay. And then to a point where it's like, okay, I'm actually just sick of being on the floor every single day mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm too smart to be on this floor. And so how do I sort of um, let people know that I'm actually a smart person, right? Because there's nothing on this piece of paper that says Leonard Monkman is an intelligent person. And so all of the different things that we did, it it's a lot of it is still not on my resume because <laughs> we, <just, laughs> we just did it just to do it. Right? Yep. Like We just did all of these things just to do it. And so but in the meantime, like we were making all of those connections and we were building all of our, our building all of our skills. And so, like, you know, the the biggest thing is, like, go out and volunteer, but do something that you actually love to do. And then eventually it'll turn into something like you getting paid to do something that you love to do if you volunteer enough. For it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, my perfect example is uh, people that skateboard that record videos. Like they're out there and they're recording their own videos on their little cameras, and then they're taking mm-hmm. them back and they're editing them. These people can go out and make a movie afterwards because they know how to do that because they train themselves just by the love of doing it.
0: Well, yeah, and and the other thing is, is like everybody if they're doing their part and and volunteering. Know how you know colonization has really severely interrupted our nation building efforts because nation building is ongoing, you know it's it's a it's an organic process that continually evolves and it's been so controlled and interrupted by colonial governments that. You know, there's been a dis a big disconnect. It's disconnected our people in many ways to- from our leadership, and our leadership from our people. And then what it takes to actually keep, maintain, and build a nation. And I've I've always thought these these contributions, these you know whether you call it volunteerism or or you know civic responsibility, um, it's. Our nations simply can't function without it. If you imagine that some first nation lost all of the people that drive elders to their medical appointments, or all of the people that organize the powwows, or they lost all of the people that organized the kids' Indian summer games, like imagine uh, how impoverished we would be of spirit if we didn't have all of these people giving of their own time.
1: Mm-hmm i mean for for me, like I tell people like you know we we've done so many different types of community events where we've hosted or organized or whatever, mm-hmm. and this is this kind this is the kind of work that's been going on for years and years and years, mm-hmm. but also at the same time, like there's nothing there's nothing really revolutionary about the type of work that we're doing, but what I have seen over the past while is that we're we are inspiring. Uh, other people to take it all right. Like there's people mm-hmm. that have come to our events four or five years ago that are doing their own thing now, and that's really like the 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 dream of it, right? Like if I give away 600 basketballs to kids in the north end, and one kid, you know, just loves to play basketball and just stays off of the streets, like that's a that's a win, right? And that's where you gotta mm-hmm. you, you, you can sort of uh, it's hard. Success is hard to measure in that sense in terms of community mm-hmm. organizing but the influence and the inspiration, right? Like when you see uh, other young men, other young women be like, okay, yeah, like they're, they're, they're not going to say it to you, but deep down like they were inspired by that thing mm-hmm. and then they want to sort of continue that where they're going out and they're, building up the community they're the ones that are building up the community now and so you're planting seeds mm-hmm. that are are growing right and so that's what I, I think that's one of the been the the that's one of the most beautiful things about living in the city is that there's so many uh talented people we don't have to agree on everything we don't have to you know be best friends or anything mm-hmm. like that but there's opportunities to work together and so that's the the the, the, the thing that i see in the future is that you, you should be able to uh, have enough of a community so that when it, when it gets critical, you have the opportunity to mobilize people in a real way.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, for for youth who feel like they don't have a purpose and, you know, they ask me questions, well, you know, what about this? And I don't see a place for myself. And it's like, you know what, just just start volunteering in all of these different areas and you're like you'll literally find your purpose like you'll find your passion and you might not know what it is at the beginning but i think my my entire life my path was set before me because of all the things i did on a volunteer basis from the time i was you know 12 years old and onward Originally, it was because my brothers and sisters forced me to do it. But, you know, I, I grew to understand what the concept of it and then, you know, where my path would take me. And and you find that by experimenting by, f- you know, figuring out different ways you can help people. And, you know, one of the things, you know, a, a lot of youth contact me, or I when I speak to different schools, they have lots of different questions. And, I'm wondering what you think, like how important is it for youth to actually, you know, hear our role models and see our role models, not just on social media, but actually in the mainstream media and, you know, even in our own indigenous media, like how important do you think it is for them to see people like you and people like Connie and and, and people like Negon and and all of these others in the media?
1: I think it's uh I think it's funny sometimes because like uh, one person that I know her her kid followed me on Instagram and I followed him back and then he messaged his mom and said oh I'm famous now Leonard Monkman is following me and it's kind <laughs> it's kind of funny because like we're just regular people right like we're just mm-hmm. regular people we get up and we have to do what we have to do um, but you know it's also you know, thinking about the influence that social things like social media and things like being on the media and what that does for mm-hmm. kids right And so if I interview uh, an indigenous doctor who has grown up in the North End like, the young kids that are aspiring to be a doctor, they need to be able to see that. They need to be able to see people like Ethan Bear that are making it to the NHL. Uh, mm-hmm. They need to see all of these other different things, you know, and they need to, and it's, just, and it's like the 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 argument that uh, I was talking about with somebody there the other day about the argument of putting ceremonies on social media, right? And how that is a very sticky, sticky conversation that, that is happening, but you know, based on what I've seen is that there's more and more young people that are being drawn to saying, okay, well, let's make it fashionable to go out and learn our language. Let's make it trendy to go and, uh, you know, do these actions, or let's make it trendy to go to ceremonies. And maybe Mm -hmm. it's not a trend, and and maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. But at the end of the day, you're getting, you know, a thousand more kids that are going to go back, because it's the the curiosity has been piqued by by mm-hmm. social media right and 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 to, to sort of go back to what you were saying about you know knowing your path or whatever like I I didn't find out what the hell I wanted to do until I was like 30 I didn't even I, I never even planned on being a journalist mm-hmm. I did not plan on being a journalist I did not plan on being anywhere where I am today it was sort of like uh it took me 30 years to figure out that okay I can actually write you know I'm I'm, I'm a decent mm-hmm. writer for I just practice all of the time and it's the same thing with my son who's 17 years old like the 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 pressure is not on you to know what you want to do for the rest of your life and Mm -hmm. me personally I use my own personal example like I don't live off of the mainstream middle class uh, linear your timelines of you should be graduated by 18, you should be graduated university yeah. by 22, you should be married by 25, and you should have your house by your 26, like, for me, that's all bullshit, right, and, we, and yeah. our families, our families have been through so much shit that we'll get there when we get there, and maybe we might not ever get there, but the thing is, like, we need to be able to have the the, the freedom and the flexibility to say, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep on plugging away, right, and for me, the biggest thing is, like, I just need to make sure that my family's okay. Everything else if it mm-hmm. comes if it comes secondary whatever like if I say to myself like I want to be one of the best indigenous journalists it's because that's true, right? Like that's true mm-hmm. and I feel like kids should strive to say stuff like that. You know, you say stuff like that in hockey, but if I say that in something like journalism like people would be like, "Oh, get get a hold of yourself," right? Mm-hmm. So we need to we need to we need to be able to push our kids to say you, you can do whatever you want and, mm-hmm. and take the take take the time that it takes to get there uh and and you'll you'll live your own path right like uh, you'll make mistakes mm-hmm. along the way and that's okay too
0: and i think it's important for them to hear that and to to know that and that it's it's not how it's painted about, you know, this, the way it should be. Um, And, and here's another thing, you know, you know, just talking about role models, because you're, you're a role model for lots of people, not just youth, but for lots of people. And for lots of reasons. I mean, the fact that you are so authentic. You're a single dad, so family's clearly important to you. Um, you're representing us in the mainstream media, but to me, I think it's it's even more than that. You're not just an indigenous person representing us in the indigenous media, but you honor us because you still reflect our issues in an honest way with integrity and respect, but in a way that's that still sees us reflected you haven't abandoned us you haven't abandoned us for what the flashy story or the status quo story and and you know one thing that really hit me was when you contacted me and other people and said hey can you come and do this story and we want to talk about the over incarceration of our brothers and sisters and you know that really struck me because it is one of the most difficult issues to get people to care about because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of judgment about people that are in and out of prisons or so-called um uh in conflict with the law and i have been you know to the united nations i've been to human rights treaty bodies trying with other people to get this over incarceration crisis addressed and here you are you know you're you haven't been at CBC for 20 years, where you have this sense of look, I can do whatever I want, and and one of your first issues here is over-incarceration, and that really struck me, that you you're you haven't abandoned us and all of us.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like the like like what are the things that are important to me, right? Like I'm going to uh, pitch ideas that I think that are important to me. And for me, like the, 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 what is important for me is, is that the health of indigenous families, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, that's what it should be, right? And so for, uh, you know, working on a lot of the residential school projects, like you get to see uh, how much that has impacted families over, over the years. And like that's, I think that's one of been the, 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 the best experiences of working at the CBC so far is, you know, connecting with, as many residential school survivors as I have, and learning about what they've gone through and what they've been through. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, there's still a lot, a lot of anger out there uh, towards uh, indigenous parents, indigenous grandparents. Like there's, some you know, people Mm -hmm. weren't weren't parented properly in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. There's a lot of internalized racism that comes from that. And so it's important to sort of recognize where that comes from, right? And, uh, you know, for me listening to uh, Connie Walker's uh, second season of Missing and Murdered, uh, where they talk about uh, the Sixty Scoop, um, I think it's episode seven or eight, uh, where they really make the connection of what, what has happened with residential schools and, and why uh, our communities are we're, were parented that way, right? And mm-hmm. so, what I tell a lot of people, these like just in person, I'm like, you know, what the real conversation that we should be having all of the time, everywhere that we go across the country, is that we need to reconcile with our families. Right, mm-hmm. like we need to reconcile with our parents, and there's some shit that is out there that is unforgivable, right? Like there's stuff mm-hmm. that has happened to people that is unforgivable, and it doesn't need to be forgiven, right? But if there's some, if there's things where there was neglect, or if there was other, you know, like we need to figure out, like how do I forgive a parent that was broken? How do yeah. I forgive a, a grandparent that was broken? right and how do I mend that relationship if it's no longer there um or at least figure out how do we get rid of those um, or or how do we work through the the feelings of bitterness, anger, resentment, sadness, loneliness um to you know to 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 actually heal right and so the one of the favorite stories that I've worked on this year is uh the orange shirt day story uh residential school thrivers because these women have gone through it. These women have and, and you know, talking to the very first person, 83 years old, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. And, you know, 30 seconds into it, she's crying because of how much pain that she's mm. been through. Right. And then to say to them, like, you know, we we have to we have to still recognize the destruction that this has caused in our families and our communities. But they've also done work since the TRC, since they shared their stories of connecting with their culture, of connecting with their people, of connecting with mental health professionals. Like, you know, for for me, what I tell people is, you know, ceremony is not going to be the only thing that heals you, right? Mm. If there's some deep-seated trauma, Like, you need to probably go and talk to a mental health professional and work through that trauma, uh, work through your anxiety, work through uh, any abuse that you've been through, uh, work through your PTSD, right? Like, there's so many uh, Indigenous men that are walking around with undiagnosed PTSD from all of the violence that they've seen. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, it's like, how do we have conversations among men and it, and this is something that I think should be said is that I'm not out there advocating for uh, the things that women are already talking about, right? Because that's mm-hmm. not, I don't, I don't feel like that that is my place. I don't feel like that is my mm-hmm. space. But for me, it's like, you know, I, I need to figure out a way like, like to, to, to make sure that, uh, you know, maybe there is men that are being inspired by the journey that I've been on and, mm-hmm. and, and hopefully, like, there will be more and more and more to a point that, you know, we're, we're really challenging uh, everything that Canada knows about Indigenous men to say, you know what, like, we're loving dads, we're good mm-hmm. partners, we're all of these things that we were before all of this shit happened.
0: Well, exactly. And, you know, overcoming all of those stereotypes that unfortunately sometimes are perpetuated by spokespeople for various government officials or police agencies or anything else, the focus is always on um, the negative and sometimes it's it's like a grossly grossly exaggerated negative when you know all of this stuff happened to all of us men women kids elders you know we, we we've all been through this and we all deal with those traumas in different ways and it's how we go about helping one another and lift each other up out out through that and and see the other side and and you know I know that I mean, you're a real yeah. warrior for where you are today and, and what you're doing for our people and how you're representing us. And I I really appreciate that. And I'm wondering if you, knowing that there's so many of our young people, you know, both on reserve and in urban areas that are really struggling right now because maybe they came from... um. Broken parents, or maybe they were forced into foster care, or maybe, um, you know, they've had traumas or they're suffering uh, with racism in society because we still have in many pockets um, some pretty overt racism. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for them on how they can still realize their dreams, whatever it is. Maybe they want to be a journalist like you, or maybe they want to be a lawyer, or maybe they want to be you know, a world famous artist, how can they realize their dreams when they're in the midst of what they might think are insurmountable difficulties?
1: Um, I I feel like that that I mean that's a that's a pretty uh that's a pretty tough question to answer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But what I what I I try to tell people is that like, you know what, despite all of the shit, like you have to figure out a way to keep going. And I, and I feel mm-hmm. like one of the biggest things that leads to depression in a lot of Indigenous peoples is that they often don't have one uh, uh, something to look forward to, right? And for me, it was like trying to figure out, like, how do I how do I find one thing to look forward to and whether that's something to look forward to next week, uh, Mm -mm. something to look forward to next month. um, But marking that calendar and saying, okay, well, there's this one thing that I'm going to look forward to. And for people that, you know, I've seen a lot of uh, depressed people. I've seen a lot of hopeless people and it's figuring out like, if there are people that are going through it, You know, you need to be able to find your auntie. You need to be able to find Mm -hmm. your uncle. You need to be able to find your grandma, your grandpa, Uh, whoever it is. uh, For me, when I was in high school, it was it was my science teacher. You know, for me, when I was in high school, it was a basketball coach. You know, I've had uh, mentors come through my life at various points of my life and people that, you know, in, in in the most uh, depressing times of my life, like finding that one person to talk to, right? Like mm-hmm. finding that one person that you can talk to, that you can lean on, that you can just. Sometimes all people need is an ear, and sometimes you know, as as Indigenous peoples, like I'm that ear for my family members still, right? And so that's something that people don't know is that when shit gets super tough for my family members. I still have to take these calls. I still have to be there and hear these things. Mm-hmm. And so you know if 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 you're if you're able to like be that ear for somebody and if mm-hmm. you're on the other side of it find somebody that you can confide in, right? And that's the most important thing is like finding somebody to confide in, some finding somebody to share your ideas with, your dreams with, your sadness, your loneliness, your grief, whatever it is, like being able to connect with people i think that that that's the the biggest thing is connecting with your people if you don't have them uh in your community like find them online like there's people out there Mm -hmm. that talk to each other all the time
0: well, and I think that's a a pretty powerful advice because the strength of us has always been in our collective, no matter how small it was or how big it was, and it can just be your, you know, your collective of, you know, two people. It could be your collective of your family, your community, your nation, whatever it is. There's power. There's support there. There's love there. And uh, I think yeah. that's a, that's a really powerful message, Leonard. And and you know I. This podcast was uh, like a thousand times more than what I even expected. And you're already an amazing person, but you just, every time I, I hear you or read your work, like you really, you really honestly inspire me because I just know so many young indigenous people living in cities who feel so disconnected and you just, you know, you're this, this warrior example of how to stay connected you know it's not it might not just happen on its own you're going to have to go and look for it and work for it and contribute to it and volunteer and and at the end of the day you know you've had all your struggles too but you are where you are and that's you know i think hard work goes a long way and i just I'm incredibly honored that you came on this podcast, and and thank you for all you do to inspire all these other young Indigenous men and Indigenous peoples generally, on um, you know living this warrior life, which is ultimately about living a good life for ourselves and our people.
1: I think, uh, well, thank you for one, but I think twenty years from now we're going to live in a much different country because. My kids will be of age. Everybody that knows kids will be of age, and it's just, i just think that as as we continue to progress as Indigenous peoples across the country, like mm-hmm. we're only we're only going to get stronger, right? And we're going to be the 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 my, our kids' generation will be the last ones to not have to deal with all of the 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 residential school hangover. Mm-hmm or all the other stuff right so I I would say to you Canada like you know here's what we got on deck and and, and imagine what this country looks like if you got thousands of people that are just as confident as me and just as comfortable as me
0: yeah exactly exactly and I believe that that's on the way too you can almost feel it it's like an electricity you know it's coming
1: it's coming (laughs) I'm telling you right now it's coming (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: well i i hope you will come back on my podcast again someday because i just know once i post this like people are just gonna go crazy over it because you're just you're so inspiring and real at the same time and i really thank you for coming on my podcast
1: thank you for having me as a guest
0: and thank you to all the listeners for tuning into my show. I appreciate that you show up here every Friday and hear what amazing advice and guidance and experience that all of my guests have and and Leonard especially. And what I'll do, <laughs> I'll post a link to his um cbc.ca indigenous page where you can read some of the articles that he's written and find out more about the issues that he covers um if you like this episode consider sharing it share it with your uh, family and your friends and your community and um help inspire other people Help share the podcast, help share the word, and make sure to leave me all of your questions and comments in the comment section because that's how I know who to have on, what kind of issues you want covered, and what your feedback is on everything. I'm currently hosted on SoundCloud, but you can also get me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. I'm on all the social media Um, Instagram is Pam underscore palmeter, And what I'll do is I'll also post Leonard's Instagram details or social media details because he's also on Twitter and Instagram and the the other ones as well. Um, Don't forget to watch me on YouTube because I tackle difficult political and legal issues facing indigenous people. And thanks again, Leonard, for coming on my podcast. I hope to have you back. till next time. Keep living a warrior life. Walalia.